Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kitshanu B'Mitzvotav Etzivanu La'asok Be'Divrei Torah, Ve'Harevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka Be'Finu U'Fiyot, Amka Beit Yisrael, Ve'Niyet Anaknu, Ve'Tze'etze'enu, Ve'Tze'etze'e Amka Beit Yisrael, Kulanu Yodea Shmeka Ve'Lomdei Torateka Lishma. Barukata Adonai Hamlamet Torah Le'Amo Yisrael. Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bachar Banu Mikol HaAmim, Venatan Lanu Et Torato. Barukata Adonai Noten HaTorah. Mashiach Now. Before I get started, I just want to dedicate this episode and this podcast to the memory of Raphael Ben Avraham, Baruch Dianamet, he had his passing uh, just a day before this episode aired, and a tremendous loss for our mishpacha, and miss him already so much. And I pray that this podcast and all the studies and insights would grant his neshama and aliyah in the olam haneshamot. And I also want to read Psalm 130 in his memory and may the words of this psalm bring about a tremendous comfort to him and to his family. Telim 130 Shir Hamalot Mi Ma Amakim Ke Ratika Adonai Adonai Shima Vecholi Ti Yana Aznecha Kashuvot Lekol Tachanunai Im Avonot Tishbar Ya Adonai Mi Yaamod Ki Imka Haslika Lemaan Tivare Kiviti Adonai Kivta Nafshi Ve Lidvoro Lidvaro Ho Khalti Nafshi La Adonai Mi Shomrim La Boker Shomrim La Boker Yachel Yisrael El Adonai Ki Im Adonai Hachesed Ve Harbe Imo Fedut vehu yifde et Yisrael miko avonotav. Ken yihiratzon. May the all-present one comfort all who mourn among the mourners of Zion and Yerushalayim. May we see Raphael with the coming of Mashiach speedily in our days. And may we all be reunited with our loved ones who we've lost. And to his Kala, who remains here, she is surrounded by lots of support and family and friends and mishpacha of all kinds. And we just send much love and much comfort to her. And may she just be filled with the spirit of Hashem and May the, the tears and the brokenheartedness be bound up in the balm of Gilead in the hand of Hashem. And 
I just want to say to the whole entire family that I, from what I've gotten to see and to know and to experience with Raphael and the light that shone from him, he is a beacon for me of just a steadfastness with Hashem to, to really treasure the word of Hashem. I think about when I was told about the notes that he would write uh, as he would do his studies. And that is just so precious because I can't think of the numerous amounts of notebooks that I've exhausted uh, with recording thoughts and um, just little notes and insights as I've studied the word of Hashem. And I thank Hashem for the opportunity to meet such a beautiful soul and to just honor his life and his legacy. And I pray that his memory would be for a blessing and that all who know him, that they will take and expound upon the gifts, the gifts and the example and the modeling of living a life for Hashem that he showed. Bezrat Hashem, Bezrat Hashem, we should all be reunited. Tekiyat team, the resurrection of the dead. Wow. So this week, we're in Parsha Toldot, and it's the, the translation of Toldot in English is generations. And I've talked about this in the previous episode that was posted this week. And I don't really want to go too much more into that because I want to share some a few things uh, from just some insights that I've gleaned so far. There's a lot going on with the birth of Esav and the dynamic of the relationship with Esav and Yitzhak, as well as Esav and Yaakov and, uh, and things like that. So Esav is a very, very powerful person, a powerful character, and there's just a lot there to really unpack. And uh, the connection to Rome and Edom and uh, part of the 70 nations of the world. So one of the things that I wanted to mention first is from Rabbi Trugman. And this is brought down on the verse that corresponds to Genesis 25, verse 27. So Rabbi Trugman Shlita brings down, Now the earth was chaotic and empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. That's from Genesis verse, chapter 1, verse 2. Unkelos, in his classic Aramaic translation, still used today, translates the word chaotic. The English translation of the Hebrew word tohu, because tohu is how you would say this in Hebrew, and Unkelos translates it as sadi, which is interesting because when you look at the translation that Unkelos brings down, the way it is spelled in the Aramaic is Sadi Dalit Yud Aleph. 
So the way you would pronounce this is sadiya, and that is what is used for the word for tohu and chaotic. This is the word that this is the verse that corresponds to formlessness and void. So going back here, Rabbi Trugman is keying in off of this verse, and he says in this week's Torah portion, Esav is described as one who knows how to hunt. Whereas Yaakov is described as being an, a sincere man dwelling in tents. Genesis 25, 27. The word for hunt is Sayyid, which is Sadi Yud Dalit. Consists of the very same letters as Unkelos' translation of the word Tohu, which is Sadiyah, but in another order. So in other words, when you rearrange these letters for the word chaotic, it can also rearrange to hunter, which describes Esav. And what I thought was amazing about this is these are the same letters that form the way you spell out the letter Sadi, which Sadi is the Gematria 90, which is corresponding to Mayim and Melek, Mayim being water, Melek being king. And the Sadi itself is the way that, as the Arizal would say, Sadi or Sadiq. That is the one who is the righteous one, the Zadiq. And when you put these things together, the king, the water, the, the righteous one, who is called the foundation of the world, by the way, the Zadik is known as the foundation of the world. Thought it was really interesting that that also is how you spell the word Sadi, and that's how you spell the word when you rearrange the letters for Hunter and also for Chaos. And you kind of get this blend here between Esau's ability to hunt and what he was really personified as you know, there are many people throughout the Tanakh who have kind of uh, their thing. And, you know, and for Esav, it was his hunting skills. And when you look at that, the hunting, the chaos, and the one who is righteous. Well, to add to this, when you add up the letters, Sadi, Yud, and Dalid, it is 104. 104 is the gematria for the word, the numerical value for emunah, which is faith. Which really, when you think about it, faith itself is actually 103 in gematria. And then when you put the, yeah, I'm just doing a double check here, 100 and, 102, slika. 102 is emunah. And then when you add the kolel that makes it uh, plus one, that would be the 103. And then you could add up to three to that. But we're talking about three different things. We're talking about a righteous person. We're talking about a hunter and we're talking about chaos. So basically using that as a scale for how we're adding up the, the numerical value here to get to 104 um, that's, that's where I wanted to go with this to just point out that the uh, emunah, which is like our faith, 
which is our our mitzvah keeping, our loyalty and our fidelity to the word and to the to the Torah, to the voice of Hashem. Because in in Hebrew, faith is not just something that is of the mind. It is not just something that is found within the heart, but it works its way all the way out through the members of our body. And so when you look at what does it mean to be a faithful person who is righteous in the midst of chaos and what does hunting have to do with that? It's just a, a picture here that hidden in Esau is someone who is righteous, someone who is able to hunt. There is a lot of chaos within that a process. And then there's also the faithfulness that can be that the potential there anyway for faithfulness. So I just wanted to bring that up because this is a, a very big point about knowing how the Mashiach is hidden in Rome. And just like the Mashiach was hidden in also in Persia through Esther and also hidden in Mitzrayim through Yosef, also through Moshe Rabbeinu. And then also how Daniel was hidden in Babylon and so on and so forth. There are so many different times. Oh, and the biggest one I wanted to mention was Lot, uh, the, the nephew of Abraham, which at one point the Torah calls him the brother of Abraham, which is crazy to think about. There's a connection there that uh, Lot looked like Abraham. So that's also another uh, point that's brought down from the Midrash. But when you look at where Lot was, he was in Sodom. And Sodom is a place that is very chaotic. And how can anything righteous be in Sodom? And it was pointed that Lot is the one who is the righteous one. Because from him would issue the seed of the Mashiach. This is why it's important through the very disturbing situation between Lot and his daughters, we get Ruth and we also get Naamah. And those are two Jewesses that were brought into the Jewish community uh, through conversion. They became Jewesses. But uh, Ruth being from Moab and then Naamah being from the Ammonites. And so you have this whole picture here that... In, in Lot, the place where there is seemingly no redemptive qualities in such a very, uh, because, you know, incest is also one of the mitzvot that we're not to violate. So you're not allowed to have relations with your family members. And the very uh, prohibition of the Torah was violated in order to birth the, the seed of the Mashiach or in order to continue the seed uh, process of the Mashiach being brought forth into creation. So when you just think about all of these things, this is why it's so, so deep when we understand the redemption of all mankind. It's not just that Jewish people are going to be redeemed, which colloquially some would say saved or delivered uh, or, or freed from from death and punishment, exile, all these different things. It's, it's the whole entire world. 
Redemption is for the whole entire world. This is why I love that it is quoted by Rebbe Nachman. May his soul be returned to his body. That we should have as many children as we possibly can. Because even if they turn out to be uh, off the derrick or turned out to be very corrupt, in the end, Mashiach will cause the tikkun to be there for them. Which is just mind-boggling to think because the whole understanding of the counsel of the Mashiach and all of the abilities that the Mashiach has to cause people to be set right with Hashem is just it's insane. He's known as the one, this is just one facet, the one who has the 613 counsels of the Torah to literally counsel each person according to their measure and their ability how to connect with Hashem and to his Torah. Like the Mashiach has that ability to, to bring that out of people. Everyone has this godly spark within them and the Mashiach is able to access that. And so to, to even think, that out of a corrupt place like Sodom, out of a place like Persia, which, by the way, Persia was such a smack in the face to Hashem because they were taking the articles of the Beit HaMikdash, the one that Shlomo HaMelech built, and they were using it to have a very, very grotesque party and then invited the Jewish people to come and celebrate that they're still in exile, that they won't be redeemed. There was supposed to be a 70-year exile from Babylon and then we we're supposed to come back into the land, rebuild the temple. And King Akashverosh was like, no, that's not going to happen. Why don't you just party and do all of these very depraved things with us while we dress like Kohanim and we use the arts or the uh, the articles of the temple, like the vessels and the the cups and the all the other utensils that are supposed to be used for sacred service. Let's use them for this very corrupt, very just uh, carnal desire party, this carnal carnival. Let's use it for that. And you wonder why, you know, Hashem allowed Haman to do what he did. It, it was brought down as well by Rabbi Trugman that the whole event of what caused Purim to be a thing is because it was equivalent to us doing the golden calf. There's a whole connection to the banquet with King Ahasuerus and the golden calf. And it was like we were doing the same type of thing. So with all that being said, that's the first thing I wanted to bring up that when we look at the just the wild childness, literally the wild child, Esav, that this is why Yitzhak loved him so much. There's so much there. When we look at some of the great historic people, some of the high souls that issued forth from Esav, and in the future, the reconciliation between Yaakov and Esav, it's just outrageous to think about. You know, when you have Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Akiva, when you have the fact that um, there is a whole beautiful relationship brought down, I believe it was uh, Antigonus, but I don't have the source in front of me. I wasn't planning on sharing that. But there is a beautiful relation between the Rebbe and uh, uh, one of the the emperors of Rome. 
which by the way, Rome birthed out Christianity and Rome is connected to Esav through the Idumeans and the Kittim and through the acts of uh, one of the grandsons of Esav and establishing Mount Seir and connecting that to the what preceded the birth of the nation of Edom. So Edom is completely not in anywhere near Mount Seir. So how did Mount Seir and Edom become connected? And there's a whole backstory there. And so um, one of the places you can find this, by the way, is in the writings of the Mayam Loez, which is a beautiful source. And it's it's a whole story of the general. His name is Sifo. And he is, again, one of the grandsons of Esav. And he's responsible for some of the things going on there. And there's a connection with Belam and how his sorcery abilities were used to help with some of the battles and things like that. So there's such depth here. But the main point that I wanted to bring down is the the faith, the emunah, the, the zadik, which is the sadi, and the hunter and the chaos. We're in a big time of chaos right now. It's super chaotic before the Mashiach gets here. And the thing is, is we're not desirous that the Mashiach comes to a world that is so corrupt and so chaotic that it's like, well, here's the broken world. Why don't you fix it? You know, it's that's not the goal. The goal is for us to to hunt for the righteous ones, hunt for our faith, that the faith that we're supposed to work out with fear and trembling. We have to fight for that. We have to hunt out those impurities within ourselves and bring order to that chaos. This is why Kabbalah says that we're to put lights in vessels. We're to take the lights of Tohu, the lights of the world of chaos, the life of the the lights of that world and bring it down into Olam HaTikhun, which is the world of rectification, the world of vessels. So if you think about light uh, from an uh, ancient point of view and even uh, experience as we celebrate Hanukkah, which is coming up, this is why we use preferably oil wicks, oil lamps to light because light and and when it comes to the way that we read about it in the Torah, it's not just a light switch, it's not a candle. It is a wick that is in a vessel of oil. There's oil put into a vessel and you put the wick in there and you set fire to the wick and there's that whole process there. And so this is the fire, this is the light that we're talking about, the esh, the or, the esh being the fire, the or being the light. And so fire and light and the relationship and the connection there to the vessel and to the wick and how our souls are like the wick and uh, how the the mitzvot we do are like the vessels and like there's so much you can really do and, and talk about on this. But that's the main thing I wanted to start off with uh, for this particular podcast. And that, again, this just really makes me think about how important it is, you know, and I, as I spoke at the beginning about honoring the memory of Raphael ben Abraham. May his soul be returned to his body. May we all be reunited together. Amen. King Hiratzon. That we're to take light that he showed for us and put it into vessels. Put it into action. Like the way to bless his memory, to make his memory a blessing, is to do the things that he, he left behind as a legacy. 
because one of the things that happens with the soul is that there's a judgment upon the soul for the effects of that soul during their time living in this world. And so we want to help our brother with a good judgment. And as we pray all the morning prayers, all of the, the burial customs that we Bezrat Hashem, get to participate in all of the reading of the Psalms and all of the beautiful things that we can do for his family. Uh, this is just so helpful. And to keep in mind that we're, there's still a connection there. His soul is more alive now than it was while it was in his body. Like it's, it's amazing to really think about. And, and you can read about this more when you read about the morning and the customs and what happens to the soul after the soul and the body separates, there's so much going on. And as we're mourning on this side, he's, he's on a big journey on that side. And, and we're still able to help him with a, a transition. So, wow. So the next thing I wanted to go into is just a few things that I've come across. Like number one, uh, there's this thing known as the seven aliyot for when you read the Torah portion that um, there's a seven, there's a five and there's a three, which I think is interesting. Three, five, seven. If you added one because you made it 357, add one, that'd be 358. That's like Mashiach. So when you take the three to five and the seven, put them all together, make a unit. Because again, talking about gematria known as uh, the numerical value of a Hebrew word. And you can always add one, which is called the kolel. That's when you include the whole word together. So including the three and the five together, the way that you can do the different aliyot, it's like Mashiach. 358 is Mashiach. But anyway, uh, that was just what it made me think about. But when you look at this, um, Chabad has a beautiful write-up on this. And one of the things they bring down from the Talmud, from Megillah 23a, it says, we want to bestow royal honor to the Torah. This is one of the most amazing things. When you see the Torah procession happen at Shul, we're training ourselves for how to greet the king. The king is walking around. And so there's the whole thing of bowing, the kissing, the respect, you know, and we're not sitting, we're standing, you know, and it's not that we're bowing to the king. We're actually bowing to Hashem because the king represents Hashem. It's like his proxy on the earth. It's not that the king is Hashem, but he represents everything that Hashem uh, that expresses Hashem is like Hashem's sovereignty. This is the whole concept of Malkut. So if a king sends out a decree, that decree is upheld, it's respected, it's, um, it's carried out, and that's known as sovereignty, Malkut. And so that, that's like the king on the earth. The king is like Hashem's decree. And we're to uphold everything that Hashem would command. But anyway, if you think about the beauty of that, that we're to have, we're to be like royal attendees to the king. And this is why at least seven people make Aliyah to the Torah, because the king has his different attendants. So going back to the article, it says, thus the number of Aliyot corresponds to the royal number of royal attendants mentioned in scripture. 
at different times and different and different kings there were different amounts thus three on a weekday corresponds to the three guards of the door so during the reading of the torah we read twice a week mondays and thursdays uh, that you so you don't go three days without torah this is connected to a whole lot of things about no more than three days but anyway um we make three aliyot and then this also corresponds to the three guards of the door and the three guards of the door is found in second kings 25 verse 18 then going on to say five on the festivals we make five aliyot on the festivals so if you have a maxor this is why you would see those divisions of the number of readers that would come up and read the actual portions of the torah and then it goes on to say that this corresponds to the five officers who saw the king's face, which is so amazing because on the festivals, it's like we're appearing before the face of Hashem. This is why it says three times a year, your men shall appear before the presence of Hashem. The word for presence is pane, and pane is like the face. And we use the word leafne, which is a lamed in front of pane. So when you make lamed, Pe, noon, yud, which is how you say leaf ne, which is before, that literally is putting a lamed in front of the face. That's like the lamed is the person who studies. The lamed is also the person who teaches. And the lamed also represents the letter that is like the king. It's the tallest letter of the Hebrew Aleph Bet. And to its right and to its left have the letters that if you spell those three letters out, it would make the word Melech, king, because on the, okay, so everything is from right to left, right? So the Lamet, what comes before Lamet? A letter Kaf. What comes after the Lamet? The letter Mem. So the way you spell Mem, which would mean you would end up from going uh, right to left, you would go left to right, which would be Mem, Lamet, Kaf, which is Melech, king. So the king face the face of the king, Lifne, before Hashem. Come before the face of the king. Hashem is Melech HaOlam. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. So that's a whole thing there with the five. And then it goes on to say that five officers who saw the king's face, uh, that again, that's at 2 Kings 25, 19. So the three who are at the door, 2 Kings 25, 18. The one who saw the face of the king, that's 2 Kings 25, 19. So that's the scripture reference in the Tanakh. It says, i.e. those close to the king who are with him constantly. So then going on, it says, and seven on Shabbat corresponds to the seven officers who saw the king's face. The footnote on this is Esther 1, 4, verse 14, or alternatively, according to Tosafot, seven Jewish royal attendants, which remember Esther Hamalka, who, by the way, represents Mashiach ben Yosef. Yes, she does. It's so crazy to think about. Mashiach ben Yosef is Esther. Like, ah, so crazy. But anyway, she had seven royal attendants that she uh, had helping her 
and there would be one attendant with her each day and each one of them had a name and a title that corresponded to the day of the week so that she was actually able to conceal her Jewishness because remember she wasn't allowed to to say you know she's a Jewess and that what is her real name and are you, are you seeing this Mashiach ben Yosef concealed right now like not not having your name be out there uh not knowing that you're Jewish and concealing your observance because the thing is how do we count the days of the week we have different names for the days of the week that are numbers we don't have you know she didn't number the people but it would be like this is my Yom Echad servant you know and that person has their name my Yom Shani, my Yom Shlishi, Revi'i, and Hamishi, Shishi, which is prep day, and then Yom HaShabbat. So that each time one of those servants would come, she would know which one is a Shabbat, which one is a fourth day, which one is the first day of the week. So that way, when she would always be with those people, it's like, oh, this is what we always do. Like, this is nothing different. She's not... She's not doing something mundane versus something holy. Like, you know, so there's just this beautiful picture there of Mashiach ben Yosef hidden in the exile, upholding Jewishness, has a real name that not a lot of people publicly, you know, because everybody was calling her Esther and everyone was calling her, which, by the way, means hidden face. Like, come on now. The, the king, in this case, the queen, who is publicly revealed, but really concealed at the same time. Like, what is that? But anyway, uh, the Ishe HaTanakh, which is the Encyclopedia of Biblical Names, of the, the names in the Tanakh, it goes into everyone was able to identify with Esther according to their own people group, their own culture, civilization, if you will. And what's being done with Yeshua? I'm just saying, like, okay, I know there's a lot of heat going on out there about it, but I just, I had to mention it. It just... Come on now. Same thing is being done with the Rebbe right now. And I don't know, maybe with uh, Rebbe Nachman, Zemagzedek, you know, any of those great sages in the line of David who could have been potential Mashiachs. There's this whole universal uh, awareness. I mean, if you if you grant some of the teachings to people who are not Jewish and they get to see some of these beautiful things that Rebbe Nachman brings out, I'm pretty sure i have a special connection to Rebbe knockman because i had a dream that i met him and it was just like wow like it was so powerful it's still impacting me now but anyway i'm just saying like he's not the only one and it's just so beautiful when you can see just the way that there's this beautiful connection to the soul of a zadik by so many people jews and non-jews alike but anyway so everyone was able to identify with esther and then it's like well her name is really hadassah and then it's like, well, um, which, by the way, you can make uh, you can make a homiletic Hadassah, Hadashah. You can take the, the S sound of Sa, Hadassah, and make it a Sh, like a Shin, and it becomes Hadasha. You know, turn the He to a Chet. There's a whole uh, interchange of letters that can happen there. And now you have the, the Mashiach ben Yosef and the renewal concept going on. So anyway, I know it's it's a, a, a stretch license, if you will. That's, that's the term I'm going to give it because it's like, where are your sources for all of that? But 
if you just kind of look at some of the homiletics, some of the language, some of the things that Esther caused to happen, there was a renewal of the Jewish nation because of this. Previously fractured people brought together, accepting upon themselves that's which they accepted under duress at the mountain. Now they're like, oh, no, we love this Torah. We accept upon ourselves all of it, written and oral alike. You don't have to put a mountain over our head. Also, there are people from Persia who are coming in, people from all around the world who just so happened to be in Persia during this time where Purim originally happened. It's like, oh, something's going on with this group of people known as the Jews. I have no idea what's going on, but this is a big party right now. This is exciting. I'm moved. My heart is just really drawing me after this. And so, yeah, convert me too. I want to convert with the Jewish people. It's like the Jewish people are converting. It's like, wait, what is going on here? You know, so Purim is such a beautiful thing to study and know about. It's it's so far beyond just an extra rabbinical festival. Because sometimes if you mention Purim or Hanukkah, it's like, okay, that's not one of the big three. So like, what are we doing? It's like, well, it's not... There's there's a, a whole lot more there, you know, so it's more than meets the eye. Yes, Optimus Prime, Transformers. OK, anyway, and we could say it uh, Opticus Prime, like your optics, um, your opticals, your eyes, your vision, your sight. But anyway, uh, so that that was just a thing. And I just wanted to share that because it's so beautiful when you think about the connection to Esav and Torah, and oh my gosh, I gotta mention this before the conclusion here, that um, Shvile Penkus uh, put out a beautiful, um, a beautiful write-up on the Parsha this week, a commentary, and this is the title <laughs> of it. I'm not gonna read it because this is already a long episode, and I thank you for being with me and uh, for your time, but I just want to mention this title because this is corresponding to the parsha told out this week. So Shvile Penkis Shlita of 5783 on parsha told out brings down Hakadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed is He, arranged for Yaakov Avinu, Jacob our father, to receive the brachot. The blessings in Esau's garments and Esau's clothes. These clothes that Esau uh, used to, or by the way, he didn't used to. He he wore them. They attracted the animals to him, and they also were uh, taken after his conquest over Nimrod. He actually defeated Nimrod and took his clothes. <laughs> that's like so Debo. Like that's crazy. But anyway, Nimrod was a mighty warrior and like Esau was like, Psh, man, I got you. I'm taking you down. Give me your clothes. These were the clothes that were handed to uh, Adam and Hava after we ate from the tree all the way down to Noach. Noach was supposed to give them the Shem. Somehow they got stolen by Ham and then obviously handed over to Nimrod. So there's a whole connection there with the clothes and how the hand-me-down, if you will, is like, it's not so much a hand-me-down. But anyway, and when these clothes were put on Yaakov, it caused this fragrant aroma like the field that y that Yitzhak prayed in. Yitzhak was known as the person who went out into the field to pray. 
And that field represented the precursor to the Beit HaMikdash, which if you think about what goes on in the Beit HaMikdash, there's what is known as the Ketorit upon the golden altar, the fragrant incense. And that incense makes such a beautiful aroma that it could be smelled as far as Jericho, Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's a long distance. And the smell would dispel flies and insects because, you know, there were uh, offerings going up on the outer altar. So if you think about the, the quote unquote barbecue, but it's way more holier than that. So please excuse my um, <laughs> my colloquialness on that. But. That aroma was so fragrant, and that's what Yitzhak smelled when he went out to pray. And when Yaakov came in to get the blessings during this week's Torah portion covered in the clothes of Esau, he was like, what is this smell? Like, this is my son? Like, normally Esau has a distinct smell. Like, he's been out hunting all day. You're not going to smell like fresh out of the shower with this. But this was like the fragrance of Ghani Den. This is the the aroma that was actually attached to the Corban Pesach that drew out all of the Egyptians as well as the children of Israel, but specifically the Egyptians because the all of those who were in Goshen and around throughout Mitzrayim, we were all trying to pull in anyway with Hashem and there may have been some struggling, but this aroma went out from the Pesach lamb being roasted. And you think about the smell of roasting uh, the aroma, if you will, of roasting lamb. Well, imagine if the fragrance of Ghani Den came and attached itself to that. Like, that's just like, whoa, that's that's really something, <laughs> you know. But anyway, all of this to say is this is uh, some of the things that uh, is going on here with Esav or with uh, Yaakov in Esav's garments. So to finish the title without interrupting. HaKadosh Baruch Hu arranged for Yaakov Avinu to receive the brachot in Esav's garments as preparation for times of Galut, which is exile, when Yisrael's sustenance would come through the descendants of Esav. So we're in what is known Galut right now. We're not in Geula yet. Geula is happening and we're one foot in. We're trying to get the other foot in, which could happen, who knows, from the next moment to how long may, may it not be hundreds of years but 6,000 is the cutoff we're in 5783 so you know sometime between now and then uh things could really as we say pop off <laughs> but anyway that's why we're praying so much mashiach now and we have so much power and so much merit as we do that together so may we be encouraged but we're in exile right now and one of the beautiful things is we're covered in Esau because sometimes we act like Esau. And Hashem has already taken care of that issue because even though we're covered in Esau, we're still called to act like Yaakov, which means war against those things that are wayward, contrite to Kedusha. And even if we have the hands of Esau, we're still to have the voice of Yaakov. And we need to overcome ourselves. We need to overcome uh, all of the darkness, the chaos in the world. Because remember, Sadi Sayyid, or, or Sayyid, and um, Sadi. So all of those different things that we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. But anyway, um, this is just some thoughts that I wanted to bring down. Parashat told Dote. And may Hashem help us to really be like Yaakov. 
our forefather and, and to really bring about the coming of Mashiach speedily in our days. Mashiach now.